WV Uncommonplace. This podcast is a variety podcast that houses numerous series to cover mental health, empowerment, podcast framework, and various intimate series to get to know the hosts. Along with occasional movies reviews and dives in pop culture with our event podcast episodes. The Uncommonplace digs into bringing guests on that stories don't fit the mold and are very different. WV stands for the great state of West Virginia and every quarter we cover something in West Virginia. Stacy and myself JR are your hosts so please come along for this venture to Uncommonplace. Welcome to West Virginia Uncommonplace. My name is JR, I'm the host, and today we have with us a special guest. His name is Liam, and Liam, I will let you pronounce your last name because I didn't, I do not pronounce people's last names uh, properly. So, could you please give the audience your last name? Naden, Liam Naden. Liam Naden. Yeah. All right. And where do you hail from? Originally, I'm from New Zealand, but I live in Europe. Okay. Okay. It works out there. Now, the yeah. most nostalgic question that gets asked on this podcast is this real simple thing: Who are you? So before we even get into that, this is what I want you to do for me real quick, Liam. Um, Take a deep breath. I'm going to take a deep breath real quick. And this is what I want you to do first. And this is just something new I want to try. All right. I want you to tell us about you. But I want you to tell us about you from the perspective of someone that knows you. If that makes sense. So somehow someone would describe me, you mean? Yes. Someone else would describe me? Well, I think people would say um, Liam's a pretty interesting guy because he's consumed with what makes us tick, what makes us successful in life and what makes us get what we get, whether it's things we want or what we don't want. And he does that through teaching, speaking, writing and spending a lot of time researching as well, that whole area of why we really get what we want. And they'd also say about me that I'm a bit of a, an opposite thinker because I'm really, he's really interested in results. He's really interested in finding out what actually works, not just what all the books say, but what actually works. And what a lot of what he's found out is actually the opposite to what a lot of the books say. Okay, now, before we go any further, there's a big word. The word is called success. Success has a definitive term to every person. So Liam, I would like your definitive take on success, because here's my deal. Success to me, just just on the, the grand scheme of things is this. It's me doing better than what I did the day before. Me doing better than what I did the week before. It's a it's a progression. That's success to me. Um, there's superlatives and different things that go inside of success. But the actual result that I get from being different from yesterday, from achieving something that I did not do the day before or the week before, that's what defines success for me. So please tell me your definitive answer to what success is for you and what you aspire to to let people know about success. Well, through my research, I've actually researched what success is as well. So this isn't my definition. What I'm gonna give you is a definition that is the biological definition of, of success for each of us. It's the scientific definition of success. It's the spiritual definition of success. It's the emotional definition of success. And all of them say exactly the same thing. And they only say what success is only one thing. And success is being happy. On every single level, biological, mental, spiritual, emotional, being happy is you being the best that you can be 
and therefore you being successful. That's your purpose to be here because everything else you think that success means is just what you think is going to make you happy. So ultimately that's what success is. Yeah, you wrap and it's that backed up, up as I say, by science. Yeah, and, and I like that, that. That pretty much puts it in a nutshell for everyone. Now, in your own life, what was the first time that you discovered success? I want to throw a little filler in here real quick. Uh, for me, for instance, it wasn't about necessarily my education or athletics. It was the first time that someone came to me for advice on something. I was a young kid, about seven, eight years old. I played this, uh, the Nintendo, Super Nintendo. I had this game called Street Fighter um, 2. I was a fairly proficient player. I was a novice to some, but I knew how to get the combos, time things, parry, do all this extra stuff. So someone came to me for advice, like, how do you do this? How much time do you spend to, into it? And I gave them that advice, and I, and I felt successful after that, because I was like, hey, I'm doing something that someone actually watched and admired. It makes me happy, like you said. It made me happy that they actually acknowledge me as someone knowledgeable in that field. So what happened to you early on in life to let you uh, know that you were going to be successful or that you were being successful? Well, of course, you know, the definition we just talked about, which is being happy, I guess what you're asking me was when was the first time I felt happy? Yes. <laughs> but I know you're not really asking me that. But, you know, when I was a young child, I was actually brought up in a very um, Christian household. And the definition of success then, or what I was led to believe was the definition of success, was you pray to God and God will give you whatever you want. And I actually took that really seriously. And I remember thinking, I'm going to test God on this one. Because everyone, the, the priests in the church and the, um, my parents and everybody said, you know, this is, how you, this is how you get success in your life. You pray to God, you ask God for what you want, and you pray, and God will give it to you. And in the middle of winter, which in New Zealand, where I was living, wasn't that cold, but it was still pretty cold. I got up every day for, for a month and went to church to pray to God for one thing. Because I thought, I'm going to test God out on this one. And I can't remember exactly what it was. I think it was I wanted to win a competition at school. So it was important to me at the time, but it, in the overall scheme of things, it wasn't important. But I, And I was only about eight or nine years old. And I thought, I'm going to test God on this, because if, I'm get, if I show him, if I go to church at six o'clock in the morning, in the middle of winter, every day for a month, and ask for that one thing, surely God is going to give it to me. Now, God <laughs> didn't give it to me. I didn't, didn't win the competition, but I learned a lesson, and it was one of my first lessons, which is, I really, th I think that success isn't something that you, you, you chase. Success is something that you get when you are a certain way, and it took me a lot of years to understand that, a lot of years of struggle and strain and chasing after success, but when I finally understood how to achieve success, that you have to allow it to come to you by being in a certain way, everything in my life changed. And um, in, in, in chasing success, were there anything that, was there anything that held you back from success sometimes or having happiness? Was it certain things like in life? And, and I know when I'm asking this question, I'm not asking in the sense of like, uh, was there like a, a hurdle? Does someone stop you from being happy? But was there, were there personal things? Um, when you know when you got into like your teenage years that stopped you from having certain parts of happiness or having success yeah well there's only one thing that stops anybody from having success and it took me about 40 years to realize this 
I'm a bit older than you. <laughs> and there's one thing that stops you from having success. And this it wasn't just for me, although it took me years to figure this out. This is the same for everybody. And that is fear. When you feel fear inside you that you, you're, you're worried about, you don't have enough, you won't have enough, you won't be good enough, you won't achieve your potential, you won't be the best that you can be. Something in your life won't turn out the way that you want it to. When you have that fear, that's what blocks you from two things. Firstly, being happy, which is the definition of success anyway, ironically. And the other thing that fear blocks you from is, and this is what all my research and, and work these days is about, is about it puts your brain in the wrong state. You actually have two mental states that your brain operates from. And when you're worried about something or stressed or anxious, you literally block your own success. Your brain blocks your success. So that's the only thing that stops everybody. And I think if you really, if people really who are listening, think about it, you know, when do you make the worst decisions? When do you make the wrong decisions? When do you do the wrong thing? When don't things go well? It's when you're feeling stressed and worried. And that is a, this is a biological function. That is what blocks you from success. Okay. Now, uh, if you wouldn't mind, since you're getting into the brain function and things like that, could you break down for the audience uh, how the brain kind of works with all this? Okay, well, this took me a while to figure out as well. And we've all heard of these, we might have heard of these things like the subconscious mind and the conscious mind. And But essentially, your brain is a bio, what, what your brain actually is. And I, and I wonder if people have really thought about that. And they say, oh, well, my brain is what I guess keeps my body functioning and keeps me alive. But your brain, firstly, it's a lot more powerful than what you think, but your brain has a very much more specific and, and important function than keeping you alive. And that is to make sure that you're the best that you can be. Because on a biological level, everything that is alive is designed to be the best that it can be, to have the greatest chance for its survival. Because that's what happens when, when something is the best it can be, it has the greatest chance for its survival. And it's the same for us. So our brain is designed to make us the best that we can be so that we have the greatest chance for survival. And what's the best that we can be? It's feeling happy. Again, that's what success is. When we feel happy, everything in our life, is, we, our body works better. We're not stressed. Our life flows. You make good decisions. We're creative. We're imaginative. Things things fall into place when we're feeling happy we've all had had that feeling so if we're not happy so the brain is designed to make you happy that's what it comes down to this is biological this isn't some fancy spiritual idea this is pure biology your brain is designed to make you happy so if you're not happy why not that's the real question <laughs> and it can only be one thing because when you understand your brain as a machine it's a biological machine designed to make you the best that you can be, to make you happy. That's what it's designed to do. If it's not doing that, what's the only reason the machine doesn't do the job it's designed to do? Think of your motor car. Why, if, if a car is designed to get you from where you are to where you want to go, what's the one reason why it wouldn't do that when it's designed to do that? It's when you're not driving it properly, when it's not being used the right way. You know, you get into your car and you put the wrong gear in and you hold the handbrake on, it's not going to go properly. You're not driving it the right way, so you end up with problems and it doesn't do its job. So it's the same with your brain. If you're not being the best that you can be, if you're not happy, 
when your brain is designed to make sure that you are, then the only thing that's gone wrong is you're not using it the right way. So what I've created, what I've researched and simplified is a model of how your brain works. And once you understand that, you know how to use it the right way. And essentially, there are four parts to your brain. This is really fast, but there's the thinking okay. part of your brain, which is how you think. And But the, what all the thinking part of your brain is, is a library of your the information that you've picked up in your life. So everything you've experienced gets stored in the thinking part of your brain so that you can retrieve this as ideas and information. And that's all it's there for. The second part of your brain is your feeling brain, your emotional brain. And this determines how you feel and it creates your emotions. You actually produce chemicals in this part of your brain, sometimes called hormones or neurotransmitters that make you feel emotion. That's the, the, the feeling brain, the emotional brain. The third part of your brain is your survival brain, which is an automatic, this, this isn't your thinking brain or your feeling brain, but this is the part that keeps everything about, keeps you going moment by moment. It manages all of the stuff to keep you alive. And the fourth part of your brain, which science has more recently discovered, is a separate, these are all physical locations in your brain. This isn't sort of an idea. These are physical parts of your brain that have these functions. The fourth part of your brain is what I call your creative brain. And your creative brain is responsible for your imagination. And as the word says, your creativity. It's, it's, it's where you get your gut feelings from, your inspiration, your motivation, where things, all the good things happen in your life are created by your creative brain. And that's the part of your brain that's supposed to be in charge to make sure that you're the best that you can be. It, and that's its job. And coincidentally, that's the part that makes you happy as well. <laughs> but there's only one time when you're not supposed to feel happy and you're not supposed to feel good and you're not supposed to be in control of your life and knowing what to do and making the right decisions and getting great ideas and being creative and imaginative and motivated and loving and, and generous and grateful, all those things. Only one time you're not supposed to be like that. And that is every now and then, very occasionally in the modern world, something might come into your environment that might be a threat to you, either a th that might physically harm you or, or might even kill you. Now, in that case, the brain has a function in the survival brain designed to deal with that threat, deal with that danger, get rid of it as quickly and, and effectively as possible so that you can go back to being happy and, and living a life without danger around you. And that's sometimes what we call the fight, flight, fear, um, flight, fight, Fight, flight, fight, freeze instinct. It's a reaction to danger. We all know that, you know, in, the, in ancient times, you're walking through the forest and a lion jumps out from behind a rock. So what do you do? Your brain kicks in with this automatic function from your survival brain and it makes you run away or it makes you shout for help or it makes you stand and fight. But all of these things are a reaction. So what you're supposed to do, the way you're supposed to use your brain is you're supposed to be living in this creative state. Sometimes it's called being in the flow, being in the zone. And, and philosophers, spiritual people, creative people throughout history have described this creative state. You're supposed to live like that all the time, being the best that you can be, doing the right things, not having problems, really enjoying your life, except for when the lion comes jumping out at you from behind the tree, or behind the rock. But here's the thing, when the lion jumps out at you and when your brain says, 
you've got a, you're faced with an immediate danger and you need to deal with it, the signal that it tells you that you're dealing with um, an immediate threat is the, the emotion of fear. And that includes stress, worry, and anxiety. So when you feel worried, stress, stressed, what's actually happening is your brain is telling you that you're faced with an immediate threat to your survival. And what it does in that state is that it blocks out all of your creative brain, all of your imagination, creativity, all of the good things, and it gets you to react to a, what it thinks is an immediate threat to your survival. So it shuts down all of your big picture abilities, all of your abilities, all of your abilities to live the life being the best that you can be. So here's what goes wrong for 99.9% .9 of people. They're trying to create their life in a state of fear, worry, anxiety, and, and stress, not realizing that, that they're, because they're in that state, they've activated the part of their brain that can't deal with any of that. That part of your brain doesn't know how to solve problems. It doesn't know the right thing for you. It doesn't know what your goals should be. It doesn't know what you should be doing. It doesn't know the right decisions to make. All it knows is how to react to what's there in front of you. So that, that's how, um, that's why most people are using their brain the wrong way. They're trying to create their life using a part of their brain that's not designed to do that. And that's, what it, that's why I said fear, fear is the blocker. That's what it comes down to. It's a simple <laughs> okay. machine. That's the way it works. All right. So let me ask you about this notion. I hope that's uh, clear enough. <laughs> yeah, that is. So, so let me ask you about this notion, because a lot of people, when things happen, they say, I'm acting on what I feel and I'll deal with the emotions later. So you're saying like, that's not possible, correct? Like acting on what you feel and dealing with the emotions later? to a degree like so i understand yeah i understand the part you said about the survival portion but like uh, a lot of people when they do something like an outburst and, or something something out of anger or something when they're mad they always say well, i was just acting on what i feel and i'll deal with the emotions later and then they come back and they apologetic to you and stuff like that do you kind of see like that as not a that's not a thinking is that a part of a thinking function or is that just someone like an impulse well, or something well when you react what are you doing you're using the survival part of your brain to deal with what you think is what your brain thinks is a threat or a danger. So when you shout at somebody, the reason you shout at them is because you think or your brain is telling you that's the way to get out of this dangerous situation. Uh, it might not be life threatening, but somehow your brain has mixed up someone shouting at you as being life threatening. And the way that happens is we're bombarded throughout our entire life from the moment we're born to believe that life is dangerous, that somebody could hurt us, that the, you know, the stock market going down means we might be homeless or that there's some disease going around that we might catch and die from. Or if somebody, if we're in a relationship and somebody and they want to leave us, that, that's a threat. This, these are, we, our brain thinks that these are all threats to our survival. So it's got us in the state where we just react all the time. So if someone shouts at us, we shout back or we get angry over over little things and it's not because we want to it's because we're we're because we're in a state of stress and anxiety our brain is just reacting and getting us to do those things but here's the thing when you activate your creative brain when you get which is about not using the fear part based part of your brain when it's not necessary when the lions which is only when the lion's about to eat you that's that's all it's for when you actually start activating your creative brain you don't react you, you don't shout at people. You don't get angry. You don't do the wrong thing. 
you know, most of the mistakes and, and problems we have in our life are caused by doing us doing the wrong thing. We, we go, why did I do that? Why did I shout at that person? Why did I sign up for that thing? Why did I get that job? Why, do I, why did I do all these things? It was the wrong thing to do. You did it because you were in a state of, your brain was in a stress state, which meant you were in a reactive state. You weren't able to think properly. You weren't able to see the big picture. So this is the great thing about it. People say, oh, I'm just acting on instinct and my feelings. No, you're not. When you, when you do something that's, that doesn't help you, like shout at somebody, which never helps, does it? Let's face right. it. None at all. <laughs> you're just using the wrong part of your brain. Your brain is saying the best way to get out of this danger is to shout back at somebody. But of course, that also that part of your brain doesn't see the consequences. It just reacts. You know, it says... Get out of this as fast as possible. The fastest way is to shout back at somebody. So that's not using your brain the right way. That's just, that's using your brain the wrong way, which gets you to do the wrong things. Okay. Now, Liam, you've got a bunch of hats that you wear. Um, you're a podcaster and you're an author. If we could take just a moment, could you tell us a little bit about your books and how many books you've written? Well, I've written a few, uh, quite a few smaller books on marriage and relationships because one of the really interesting things I, I found you know I said right at the beginning how would I how would somebody describe me is to say well he probably he's he, what he's what he would say is most of what we're told the opposite is true and for more than a decade now I've been helping people with their marriage and relation relationship problems it was something I'm I've been really passionate about and the thing that really puzzled me when I started to do this was why do so many people have relationship problems why did there so many divorces you know whatever's whatever people doing is not working and i looked at the whole and, and i thought what are people doing to try and create a good relationship and what they're doing is they're talking about their problems they're trying to fix their problems they go to counseling they try and get their husband or their wife or their partner you know working on their problems for them and what I found through all my coaching was none of that actually works. All you end up with is more problems. And again, it comes down to how you're using your brain. If you're in a state of stress and worry and you're trying to solve problems, all you end up with is more problems. So to come back to your thing about my books, I've actually got a new book just coming out. In fact, by the time this is, goes to air, it will be out. And it's called Marriage Uncounseling. And it's wow. a counterintuitive approach to healing marriage and restoring love and what it what it's all about is you know if you've tried talking about problems and you just it, it you still end up with the problem so you still up and you're just confused and you're you're overwhelmed and you just think isn't there an easier way to get our, our relationship working like it used to like we did when we first got together and things were great and we didn't have problems and we've tried counseling or maybe we think we might try counseling and, you know, it just seems a lot of hard work. So this book, Marriage Uncounseling, is a, shows you a very different way to heal your relationship without having to go through all that stuff, because that stuff most of the time doesn't work. So that I guess that's the book I'm really excited about, because it is okay. it's fresh, and it's a really a summary of the last decade of my practical experience on what, what really works for, to create permanent love in a relationship, you know, and healing. Okay. So about, yeah, it's called marriage okay. uncounseling. <laughs> All right. On, on this show here, uh, we pay homage to it. It's an American magazine. It's actually a television show that used to come on. It's called 2020. 
And um, it had this uh, these this amazing cast had John Stassel. He's a a comedian, but he's a, a reporter. Had Diane Sawyer on there, and it had the amazing Barbara Walters. She's like our journalist, one of our best journalists in, in America. Um, and they ask hard hitting questions. They ask personable stuff. So, Liam, you're on the hot seat now. It's time for your 2020 questions. Are you ready? Oh, absolutely. Always ready. <laughs> All right. So, being a content creator, that's the terminology that they're using. Uh, this time around content creator means you're an author podcaster um counselor coach you do various things for people but here's a question that never gets asked um so liam what do you do for self-care and when i'm asking about your personal self-care understand you're a bearer of a lot of things you have to take sometimes more than the weight of the world you have to take the the whole planetary system sometimes with dealing with people and dealing with relationships how do you take care of yourself when you're taking care of others how do you keep that class from being half empty to full what i'm most mindful about is um monitoring or controlling what comes into my mind and how it's going to make me feel so in other words anything that i think is going to make me feel bad feel stressed, worried, anxious, afraid, which activates the wrong part of my brain. That's the only self-care I do. I continually monitor how I'm feeling. Is what I'm doing, is this thought, this person, this experience, is it making me feel good or bad? And if it's making me feel bad, I do my utmost to block it out of my life because I realize that if you activate and you live from your creative brain, your brain is designed to take care of you. You don't need to go on a fancy diet or, you know, meditate for five hours a day or whatever. I mean, you might do, but your brain will manage your life to be the best you can be. On, and that's on a physical level, as well as mental and emotional. Your only job is to manage your emotional state and, and block out negativity. And we know this is true. You know, how one of the, 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 the best instruction manuals on how to use your brain the right way is the Bible. In the Bible, it says more than 360 times, be not afraid. It gives you that instruction. That's all you need to do, be not afraid. Because what it's basically saying is when you're afraid, you activate the wrong part of your brain, the part of your brain that will never create the life you're supposed to live. So really, if you want to talk about self-care, that's what you need to monitor. What's coming into my life and how's it making me feel? If it's making me feel bad, I've got to do something about getting rid of it. And that can be a conversation, it can be a relationship, it can be a job or a career or, a, um, you know, even something you eat. And certainly watching media, you've got to say, say to yourself, if, if it puts me in the wrong brain state, I'm never going to be able to create, be the best that I can be, live my life purpose and be happy. Okay, That's I like that need. answer. Yeah, I definitely like that answer. Now, let's get to the difficult portions. So you're dealing with people. You're taking care of the world. Um, significant others um, or significant other. No, let me not make that plural. But um, you're taking care of the world. Like you said, you have a, a way to prioritize your mind. Well, what happens when tragedy strikes? Because I liked everything you said to me in this interview. But tragedy uh brings on uh mourning and grief in certain instances so how does how do you how does the how should the brain function with grief and mourning well i think there's a couple of things firstly obviously we have a biological aversion to um 
to death. You know, we, we are trying, our brain is trying to make sure we survive. So things like when, when a, loved one, a loved one dies or we have a challenge in our health or our, or our lifestyle, you know, which I've had all of that in my life. I've, I've been, I lost everything in my mid forties, became homeless, you know, after becoming a multimillionaire, that was a pretty stressful situation. Mm. So, you know, I had ended up sleeping on the sofa in my, in the living room of my mother's um, little apartment, you know? So I've been through, through challenges as well, but I think there's a couple of things about it. Firstly is you acknowledge that what it, whatever it is, okay, there's going to be a grieving period. You are, you are going to feel bad to a certain degree about what's happened or what's happening or what, what's going on. But I think on the other side, you also need to realize that when you raise your awareness, you can see that firstly, tragedy, um, A, might be inevitable, like death of a loved one or even your own death. That's, that's all inevitable. That's just a part of life and death. But the fact is that everything in this universe and everything about your life is a gift. And for instance, when I lost everything and became homeless, looking back on it, it was one of the most wonderful gifts I ever had, because that's really what enabled me to learn so much more about who I am and how your brain works. I didn't know any of this stuff before that happened. I was living the stressed, fast lane, trying to be a success stuff and being miserable. So it was an incredible gift. At the time, it didn't seem like it. But in hindsight, I can see with perfect clarity that it was a, a, a wonderful gift. And I think if you, if, if you ask people who've been through major traumas, very often they will say, it was, I'm really glad it happened to me. There was a very positive benefit to that thing. So you can't see it at the time, but you need to, to also um, remind yourself that whatever you're going through, there is something good about it. There is, there's a gift attached to what you're experiencing. And, and very often when you ask yourself, you know, I, I often say to people, instead of saying, why is this happening to me? ask yourself, why is this happening for me? And when you ask that question, your brain switches into a different state and you see your situation in quite a different way. Why is this happening for me? And it's true. There is always a positive side to, to what's going on. And that, that can help a lot when you're going through something. And certainly when you look back on something that's already happened, no matter what it is, there will be a very positive side to it if you choose to look at it. Okay. And I like that. Now, my last question inside these in-depth questions, uh, these 2020 questions is this, um, as a young man, I'm, I'm, uh, was very ambitious and I did one thing wrong and I didn't learn this until I got more into the business world. I set goals, setting goals caused me to have this cause and effect issue. The cause I would be doing something, an effect would happen. And then I'd either go up or down with it. Sort of like what you said it happened in your life. So when I hit 30, I stopped setting goals. I lived a life that was manageable. Um, we all ha have inspiration and, insp and aspire to get to certain levels, but we get to those levels without saying that a, a great example is I have to do 365 podcasts a year to be successful. I can do 30 shows a year and I'm fine with that. I can do 50. I can do 15, well, at least 12, 12 shows a year and I will be happy with my podcast. So that's the type of mindset I have now. But in the early 20s, I would have had to have 365 episodes. I would have had the guests on 700 plus episodes of someone else's show just to make myself feel that I was reaching a goal. So now in life, um, 
what do you say to the notion of setting goals and um, putting benchmarks on things? Because like I, like, like, like I listened to what you said earlier, it's a cause and effect thing when you go back in retrospect um, that you can see and you, in that, and you get that uh, mistake turned into a lesson learned and all that other stuff. So what is your, your take on setting goals and the cause and effect in the retrospect uh, when you get to the end of whatever your bad turn is? Really glad you're asking me this question because goal setting is one of the biggest um, uh, myths of success that exists. And the fact is, the reason we know that is because the success rate for goals, achieving goals that are set, and people have done research on all this, is about two or three percent. And I think if you really ask yourself, people who are listening who are saying, well, I set goals, how many of your goals are you actually achieving? Is it 90 percent? 80%, 70%, or do you actually achieve hardly any? And of the ones you do achieve, does it make you happy or do you go, yeah, that's good, and then, then you have to move on to the next one? So goals, goal setting is, and this is part of my counterintuitive discovery as well, is that it's self-sabotage. If you've got a part of your brain that knows that it's designed to make you happy. It's designed to give you what you need to be happy. It knows more than you think you know about you. Because when you're trying to set goals, you're using your thinking brain and your thinking brain only knows what you've experienced. So if you've read a book that said, well, if you make a million dollars a year or if you do 500 podcasts a year, then you'll be happy and successful. You go, okay, well, I should do that. But it's complete. That's only based on some idea you've picked up. Your creative brain knows what's best for you and it's designed to get it for you. So therefore, you don't need to set any goals. You just need to put in the effort moment by moment that your creative brain brings you to do. And you know that you will be going in the right direction and you will be doing doing the right things. That This is so important. Again, it says in the Bible, give no thought for tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. Do not worry about what you should eat, drink, or wear. It will be provided for you. Now, it's not saying have a goals list. It's saying do not think about tomorrow. Just think about now and allow your creative brain to bring you the right, right thing. Now, occasionally, you might say, I really want that. There's a goal that I really want because there are actually two types of goals. One is what I call a knowing goal, and the other is a wishing goal. And a wishing goal is something that you wish you had that you think when you get will make you happy. So you go, I need to have a million dollars and then I need to do 500 podcasts. And, and you never get those. There are a lot of struggle, a lot of stress. And if you do achieve them, they don't make you happy. happy. But knowing goals, every now and then you go, I don't know why, but I'm going to marry that person I've just met. Or you walk into a house and you go, I don't know why, but I'm going to buy this house. Or I'm going to get that job it just feels right this is you know on a different level and that's the only goal you should ever have and if you don't have those you shouldn't set have any goals at all because they'll be wishing goals and you'll just spend your life being off track being just being stressed distressed and going after things that are never going to make you happy okay and i like that that's strong now um, we've come to the end of this show. So Liam, one thing that's nostalgic and classic about this show is we have this thing called the shameless plug. That's where you tell everybody where they can meet and greet you across the internet or however you would like them to greet you. So could you please let the audience know where they can meet and greet you and please let them know about both of your podcasts at the very end of what you say. Okay, well, everything about me and, and what I offer is on just my website, which is just my name, 
liamnaden.com. So on there, you'll find my book coming out, my other books, the marriage and counseling book I mentioned. And, my, and I, yes, I've got two podcasts. One is about how your brain works. And all of the stuff I gave you a, a mini lesson on, I go into a lot more detail about the four parts of your brain, the purpose of your life, why you shouldn't be stressed, how to, how to get the things you really want, how to be happy, how to use this brain the right way. And that's called using your brain for success. And my other podcast is about marriage and relationships, and that's called Growing in Love for Life. And that deals with all sorts of different relationship issues that people have from, you know, lack of intimacy or communication problems, wondering if they're in the right relationship, how to fix, fix things when their husband or their wife wants to walk out the door, all of those things. And I have coaching programs about all of these things as well, if people want to get into more detail and more specificity. Is that the word? <laughs> but it's all on my web, website, liamnaden.com. All right. And I'm JR, your host. Uh, Liam has been with us, and this is West Virginia Commonplace. One quick thing I like to uh, get out here to people. All right. Quick summary on this show today. We learned about being successful. We learned about our brain. Use your brain. Um, don't let people say that common sense, book sense don't make sense because all sense makes some type of sense. So on that note, um, please head over to Liam's website. Um, amazing thing that happens with podcasts. And the second part of what people do, because this is the, the most important thing about a podcast is heading over to the show notes. When you go into the show notes and you go into the detail, you will find out about Liam. We'll throw in a little extra perk in there. That way you'll know how to meet and greet him and he will meet and greet you and you all can meet in the middle and you can find success with your brain. On that note, I'm JR and I'm signing off. Please follow WV Uncommonplace on Instagram, Tumblr, Twitter, TikTok where we have some great content, Facebook, LinkedIn, hit up the merch store at onecommonplace.square.site, join the email list from the website, and rate, subscribe, and give feedback from your favorite podcatcher. And lastly thanks for listening and tune into the next episode.